And for those of you who are joining us for the first time, we are in our hair series. Who's been enjoying the hair series so far? Man, come on, I think it's been awesome. And I don't think, you know, I love about hair is we weren't just running out of ideas, right? We're just like, what can we talk about hair? No. It's like we want to just find creative ways to preach the Bible. And who was here last week for Pastor Luke's sermon on David and Absalom? Who was here for that? Man, that was incredible. Talking about when not to fight. You know, I'm a man, I'm a male, I'm born, I can scrap with anybody, but not fighting is a trait I have to learn. So if you haven't listened to it yet, I implore you, go on to YouTube or to Spotify and make sure you listen to it. It will impact your life greatly. So before we kind of, I kind of just jump right into the service this morning, but before we do that, could you guys please join me in a moment of prayer to invite the presence of the Lord in the service? Please bow your heads with me. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, for the word that you've given me. Holy Spirit, I pray that when my mouth opens up, let it be your word that comes out. Your word with the power to heal, the power to restore, to bring a new beginning, a new tomorrow, a better destiny. Holy Spirit, I pray that the hearts of those in this crowd can receive your word and act upon it. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. amen. So the title of my sermon this morning, for those taking notes and wanna get free Chick-fil-A in heaven, that's what happens when you take notes. I said every week, you know, I'm believing it'll be true. To get some free Chick-fil-A in heaven, the title of the sermon is called Shave It Off. Can I have everybody right now just say, shave it off, shave it off. Uh, this message was actually inspired by a sermon I heard years ago of the same name. I remember hearing that sermon and God just gave me the download for the message I'm preaching this morning. One of the underrated aspects of God is what I call the holy download. Like literally, in one moment, in one instant, in one word, in one worship song, you can get an entire promise, an entire idea, an entire message from God just like that. You see, God's willing to give you all of him in an instant. The question is, are you just willing to give all you have to God? You see, the download I got from God revolves around the life of a very famous character in the Bible named Joseph. Joseph's story starts in Genesis 37 and goes all the way to Genesis 50. See, Joseph is one of my favorite stories in all scripture, and it's actually one of my favorite animated movies. Has anybody seen Joseph, the King of Dreams? That's a great movie. Fun fact, Ben Affleck, of all people, plays Joseph. I would have never in a million years thought Ben Affleck would be like in a pro-Christian movie. But you know what? The Lord can use anybody. It's incredible. But Joseph is the perfect example of what faithfulness and character can do in one's life. Joseph is never recorded as to having been filled with the Holy Spirit or being anointed by God in any way. He wasn't baptized. He wasn't covered in oil. There's no mention of him being a young man being prayed over by his dad. And even when Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dream, he repeatedly says that it's God who does it and not himself. That God is the one and God's kind of just using Joseph as a middleman. Yet Joseph, an ordinary man, lived an extraordinary life. See, this life isn't determined by anointing or talent. It's determined by faithfulness. See, I may be a pastor, but I'm more human than I am pastor. The blessing of God in my life isn't due to favoritism, but faithfulness. You see, character and obedience will always take you further than talent does in every way of life. Samson was the most anointed man in the Old Testament. He was the only man in the Old Testament to be filled with the Holy Spirit at his birth, and yet Samson's life never reached its full potential. See, character will keep you where talent will take you. You see, God hasn't predetermined who will be great in life. God's not up in heaven on like, you know, the heavenly version of Tinder, just swiping left on people who he's gonna give a bad life and swiping right on those who's got a good life. He's not up there just playing, you know, the left or right game. God is looking for people who are faithful. You see, God doesn't pick favorites. But the people who we think are God's favorites, they always seem to pick God. God doesn't pick favorites, but God's favorites will always pick God. You see, the faithful in God will always come out on top. 
You'll never see in the story of Joseph a point where he rebukes, admonishes, or renounces God. When he was abandoned by his family, he didn't lash out and ask why God didn't prevent it. When he was sold into slavery, he never attacked God. There's no record of him being in prison when he was accused of rape, which he never did. There's no record of him in prison kind of sassing God. He's not going to God like, I'm in here for a crime I didn't commit. I'm in attempted rape. What even is attempted rape? Do they give a Nobel Prize for attempted chemistry? No, they do not. There's no record of Joseph being sassy with God. He's actually just faithful the entire time. Joseph never abandoned God because he knew that even though he was in prison, that his life wasn't where he thought it was, it didn't mean that God had abandoned him. And we see that in Genesis 39, 21. But the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him and gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. Even when the world had abandoned Joseph, even when circumstances made it look like God had abandoned Joseph, God was right there working in the shadows. See, what I love about Joseph is he didn't actually have the Bible to read. <laughs> Oftentimes we forget that the people, of the heroes of the Bible didn't actually know there was gonna be a Bible. They didn't know what was gonna happen in the future. There's no record of Joseph opening up his Bible just getting like, oh, thank God. I thought my life was gonna be horrible, but it says here in 15 years, things would be great. <laughs> no, he didn't know that there was gonna be a Bible. But Joseph just knew he had to be faithful. You see, but Joseph had faith that God was a good God who can turn despair into joy in any moment. You see, the life of Joseph is the best example of what David illustrated in Psalm 97 too, when he said clouds and thick darkness are around him, him being God. That God can use all things to work for his good. And that if the absence of God isn't a sign that God's not working, it's a sign that your miracle is still in process. Dream City Church, that's a word for somebody this morning. The absence of God in your life isn't a sign that he's given up. It's a sign that it's still taking time to be written right now. See, just because there's a dark cloud around God doesn't mean that the battle is over. You see, he's never lost a battle. He didn't lose it with Joseph, and he's not gonna lose it with you. So we're gonna pick up the story in Joseph in Genesis 41, and Joseph is being summoned to, to help Pharaoh interpret a series of nightmares he's having. And Joseph's being summoned to go into the throne room of the most powerful man in the world at that time, which is Pharaoh. But Joseph was in prison for about three to four years at this time. And it, back then, if you were in jail, your hair would grow really long and your beard would grow really long because they obviously wouldn't give them shaving equipment because they could turn the sharp stuff into like a knife or a shiv and, you know, stab their way out of jail. So they would always look unkept, unfitting, and undeserving of being in the presence of the king. They did not look like they deserved to be where they're going. Joseph looked exactly like everybody else around him, like prisoners. Joseph looked exactly like where he had been, about where his past had led him to. You see, Genesis 41, 14 reads, then Pharaoh sent and called for Joseph, and they hurriedly brought him out of the dungeon. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came to Pharaoh. Everybody say, shave it off this morning. Shave it off. Shave it off. See, before Joseph went to see Pharaoh, he shaved his beard, why? Because Joseph knew you can't look like your history when you step into your destiny. Joseph knew that if he wanted to see a destiny in his life, then he would have to shave some things off his past. Dreams of Church, I gotta tell you, if you're looking to step into your destiny, why is it taking so long? Are you still unshaved? Are you still not looking like where God has called you to go? You see, a lot of us might be wondering why we haven't entered into that part of our lives, why we're wanting to see or experience, and that's because we still look like where we have been and not like where we're meant to be. 
When we decide to shave off the beard, shave off where we've been and what we've done, when we shave it off, we get a new identity and we'll find our true destiny. Your identity and your destiny are forever linked. Your revelation of your identity will always lead to the manifestation of your destiny. You see, whenever God spoke destiny to people, he would first tell them who they are. You are Moses, you are Joshua, you are Abram, you are Abraham. He spoke identity and then they discovered their destiny. You see, this is more than just deciding to grow a beard or get a new haircut. Like, I'm sure a lot of us know that person who has a beard that, like, their whole identity is wrapped in that beard. They're like, I'm the bearded, muscly guy. It's like, if you lost that beard, what would you be? They're like, nothing. <laughs> nothing without this beard, right? That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not saying get a new haircut and become a new person. But I am saying there are some things that we need to shift, to change, to remove in order to properly walk into the calling God has for us. You see, what are some words we need to shave off from our life? What are some words that we need to shave out from our vocabulary? You see, the spiritual act of shaving something off in order to step into something new, that's what we gotta walk into. You see, point number one this morning, one of the most common things I have to shave off myself are words. One of the most common things I have to shave off is words. Words that were spoken to me and words that were spoken from me. You see, words are powerful. Jesus himself is called the word. When God wanted to change the world, he sent a word. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, he sent his only begotten sons that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Because God so loved the world, all God did was send a, a word. You see, whoever came up with the phrase, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, you know, it was kind of cute, but they really didn't know what they were talking about, if I'm being honest. Now, this is what we'd say as kids to try and stick it to bullies, and I get it. Don't let the bully get in your head and control what you do. But words are powerful. Your words can be the passport to your future or the prison for your past. The words that you speak literally will dictate the trajectory your life will go. Your words, let me tell you, Dream City Church, can lead you to salvation or condemnation. I'm not even being philosophical. I like to be philosophical. I took a logic class in college, so you know, I, know, I know a little bit about Plato, right? I'm not even being philosophical. Romans 10, 9 literally says, if you confess with your mouth, if you speak the words, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Paul says, just by saying the words, you can find salvation. And we know what's true in the spiritual is true in the natural. And so if words can bring salvation, well, then words can bring condemnation. See, on the other side, our words can bring condemnation, damnation, or judgment. You see, humans and even believers, we oftentimes struggle with self-cursing. I'm so guilty of this. Oftentimes, we kind of say it in jest, like to lighten the mood. That doesn't stop the words from sticking. We say things like, oh, I'm so stupid. I'm so garbage. I must be getting dementia. I'm so old and achy. Why am I so sore all the time? I say that a lot after men's basketball. And I'm like, you know what? That's probably why I'm so sore and achy. I keep speaking that over my legs. I just need to speak that I'll be healthy and good. <laughs> That'll be good. You see, but we say these things to lighten the mood, but we're literally directing our body to travel that way. We're subjecting our lives to the negative value of the words that we speak. We see this in the Bible. The character Cain literally condemned himself with his words. A lot of us know the story of when Cain killed Abel. Cain's kind of posting up. He's kind of walking. And God is like, Cain. And Cain's like, huh? He's like, hey, what's going on? He's like, where is your brother Abel? He's like, I haven't seen him. I, last I checked, he's gone to the 7-Eleven. And I just, he didn't come back. And, Cain, and God is like, Cain, your brother's blood calls to me from the ground. And Cain's like, well, who am I? I'm not my brother's keeper. I'm living for me, bro. It's all about me. 
And God gives Cain his judgment. He says that because you stole the life, because there's blood on the floor, it cries out for justice, and his peace that was stolen will not be taken from you. The punishment God gave Cain, this is all it was, was you're gonna be a wandering man and never find peace the rest of your days. Now, I love God, but that was like the equivalent of you're going into a timeout in your room with all your toys. <laughs> I was like, I was like, that's pretty soft, okay? You, you know, you get to enjoy the entire world forever. <laughs> but then Cain responds in error, and he says, God, this punishment is more than I can bear. Whoever finds me, they will kill me. Nowhere did God ever mention death. But Cain said, God, I'm going to die because of what's done. And the best analogy I have for this is in the movie Dumb and Dumber. Anybody seen Dumb and Dumber? It's iconic, it's great. I believe the Lord can work through all these things. And when I read this, I immediately was reminded of the scene at the very end, if you stayed and were faithful to the movie, where you know, Harry and Lloyd are walking and there's the bus that rolls in and it stops right by them and it's the Swedish bikini model team. <laughs> and they're like, we're looking for two guys to help you know, put the oil on us for our next show. Do you know where two guys are? And Harry is like, yeah, the nearest town's about a mile that way. And they start driving away, and then like they go, and then Jim Carrey looks at me, he's like, do you realize what you've done? So they like book it after this bus, like, wait, wait, wait. And they get to it, Jim Carrey's like, sorry, my friend, he's a little slow. The town is that way. <laughs> I love it. But I remember reading this, and I just had the picture in my head straight up of Jesus grabbing Cain by his face and saying, do you realize what you've done? Your words are exactly where your life will tread. So God does something. He puts a mark on Cain's head and says, whoever kills the man with this mark will be cursed seven times with what was put on Cain. And what's crazy is biblical tradition states that Cain uh, was killed by his great-great-grandson Lamech in a hunting accident. He shot a random bow and he killed him. But I believe that was never Cain's calling in life because of the words Cain spoke over himself. He was subject to that life. You see, our life is dictated by words. Our appearance is dictated by the words we speak over ourselves. If the words that you spoke became the clothes that you wore, how would you look? We dress ourselves with clothes. Would you dress poor? Would you dress rich? Would you dress healthy? Would you dress sick? Would you, just, would you dress young and invigorated? Or would you dress old and sickly? Would you be able to feel confident about the words that you dress with? You see, in Psalm 36, David says, when I felt secure, I said, I will never be shaken. Scholars believe that David most likely wrote this psalm when he was incredibly sick, when he was feeling incredibly weak. David understood that a feeling is only just a feeling, but a declaration spoke over his life can change his life forever. See, sometimes we need to speak over ourselves the future we want, regardless of how we feel. Because Dream City Church, you're never how you feel, you're only how you decide. Can I get a quick amen this morning? We have a young generation that's so caught up in feelings, they forgot that they can decide the life they want to have for themselves. They speak these words that they're confused, they're anxious, they're lost, and we wonder why it is, because you are more than a feeling, you're what you decide to be. You see, and this is also true for your wife or your husband, or your boyfriend and girlfriend. The words that you speak will be the exact clothes that they wear. The quality of the words I speak to Aubrey determine the exact quality of the beauty she carries in her life. I learned this from my dad firsthand. Uh, my dad has a story years ago that he would share, and it's stuck with me still to this day. And when my dad and mom first got married, my dad was, you know, a, you know, 20, mid-20s German, so you just don't want to tick him off. 
you just don't take off the Germans, right? World War I and II, that's what happened. And then my mom was an Australian woman who's very sarcastic, witty, but she also, you just don't want to tick her off, which is the story of my childhood and why it still hurts to sit. No, I'm just kidding. But so basically what I'm saying is their marriage was the recipe for great sermon material because of all the fights. But so early in their marriage, they're kind of going at it. And my dad, you know, he watched my opa, who is not a saved man, beat my oma. So he says, I will never lay a finger on my wife. But that didn't stop his mouth from running its course. And he would say just vicious and nasty things to my mom. And one time they had a big fight. My dad was saying all these things. My mom was saying it. And so my dad was like, that's it. My mom's name is Leanne. Leanne, I'm so telling God on you. He's like, I'm gonna go snitch to God about how you're making me feel bad. And so my dad's walking with God. You know, he kind of probably read this from, you know, Genesis when Adam was caught sinning. God was like, Adam, what have you done? And he's like, huh, the woman you gave me, God, she did it. So my dad was like walking. He's like, you know, walking with God. And he was like, God, the woman you gave me doesn't seem to be the woman at all. He's like, I'm sure you never make mistakes, but did you make a mistake here? Like, is there a way out? Could I get somebody else? And my dad was like, Jurgen, what type of woman would you want? And my dad was like, huh, easy, I'd want a princess. And God said to my dad, when was the last time you called her a princess? And he was like, when she starts acting like one. <laughs> when she says it, then I'll say it. My dad says, no, no, you need to read the story of Adam and Eve. How did Adam make Eve? And my dad's like, look, I'm a pastor. I know the book of Genesis like the back of my hand. You saw Adam was alone. You put him to sleep. You took out his rib, you know, because from the side, you can make him whole again, and you made Eve. He's like, take that, God. But I mean, guys know God doesn't ask a question because he doesn't know the answer, <laughs> right? That's just how it works. But so God said, you need to read it again. My dad's like, I've read it a thousand times. In the one-year Bible, the only book I can actually read is Genesis before Leviticus takes me out. So he's like, I know what's going on in Genesis. But God says, I need you to do it. So my dad opened it up and immediately the Holy Spirit directed his eyes to the passage where God saw Adam was alone. But before he put him to sleep, he had one test for him. The Bible records that God brought every single animal to Adam to see what he would call them. Because whatever he called them that's what they would become. And my dad just wept and just wept and he just realized the reason why my wife isn't where I want her to be is because I'm not stewarding it right. He would always say that a wife is a product of one's husbandry. Men in here, if you're not satisfied with it, take a look in the mirror. Are you calling your wife to be what they want? And ladies in here, if you're unsatisfied with it, how is your husband treating you? Hold them to a standard. Can I get a quick amen this morning? I know it's tough, it's sensitive. Aubrey holds this to me all the time. And I say, that's unfair to use my preaching against me, okay? <laughs> but it works. You see, you can have a six become a 10, or you can have a 10 become a six, all by the clothes that you dress them with. You see, we have to learn to cling to the words that are good. Keep speaking the good over yourself, regardless of circumstance. I heard years ago, just a powerful tool that I just started using in my life. It's uh, this man would tape words on his dresser, on his morning mirror, when he'd get ready, he'd tape words that he wanted his life to be successful, prosperous, friendly, invited, forgiven, redeemed. And he would, as he's doing his hair, he would just say those words over his life. That's all he did, that's all he would do, say them. Then he'd go to work. And he watched as his life always began to traject towards the words he'd speak. Friends, I gotta tell you, challenge yourself for one year. Write them on the, write them on the mirror, write them on the wall. Speak over yourself the words you wanna live. And I guarantee, you get the Ashmetesius guarantee that your life in a year will be different than it is now. Come on, somebody. That's a good guarantee also. You see, but much like in real life, we have to shave and then we have to reshave. 
Some of the words from my past like to rear their ugly head when certain events or circumstances occur in my life. I'd love to say that you only need to shave once, but I'd be lying. But there's a reason why the Bible says that the Lord's grace is sufficient and renews every day. He expects you to shave every day. There might be a word that slipped out. Don't keep it, shave it off. There might be a word that was spoken again. Ask God for healing over it. You see, sometimes we have to shave the words from the enemy and sometimes from our inner me. Sometimes our true enemy is the inner me. You see, we, we need to bear the face God made us so we can walk in the calling God has for us. Point number two, point number two. What are some negative dreams, visions, or memories that you need to shave off? Dreams in the church, are you able to dream again? Joel 2.28, my favorite verse in all of scripture, the verse that really made me wanna name my son Joel, it's my favorite verse, and it says, in the latter days I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your old men will dream dreams, your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. If you've got God's spirit in you, you will have visions, it's inevitable. In fact, it's impossible to live with the spirit of God and not be able to dream again. Sometimes you just need to shave off the idea that that bad memory, that failed circumstance, that failed idea will enable us to stop dreaming. Shave off that negative dream. You see, we might need to surrender to God our past circumstances. Some of us don't dream since we don't feel like we can be successful based on where we came from. We didn't have the pedigree of other people's backgrounds. Maybe we came from a broken home. We didn't think God could use us. Or maybe we didn't have enough money growing up, so we think God limited our life. See, but you can make a heaven out of hell or a hell out of heaven. It's all determined by what you see. Your vision sets the standard for your life. In fact, Helen Keller said the only thing worse than being born blind was being born able to see and not having a vision. A woman who lived her whole life blind and deaf, who did many things because although she couldn't see, she still had vision because she had the spirit of God. You see, in my life, I've determined myself to not see things what they are today, but see things what they might be tomorrow. This helped me out a lot as a youth pastor dealing with a bunch of little rat kids, <laughs> to be honest. To be like, you know what? Tomorrow they're gonna be better or they will be hit with a dodgeball. It's your choice, right? <laughs> you know, the beatings will continue till morale improves. No, I'm just joking, I just joking. Never got to that, never got to that. No, I'm just kidding. But I trained myself to see the gold in people. When I learned to see the gold in people, I learned to not give up on them. You see, I've learned that some people today might be caught up in dysfunction, addiction, isolation from God. But I asked God, Lord, show me the vision you have for them so that I know what to cling to. You see, God's no respecter of persons, but he's a respecter of his principles. It doesn't matter who you are. If you fear God and choose his ways, he'll show up in your life. God's favorites always seem to pick God. We're gonna pick up back in the story of Joseph after he accurately interpreted Pharaoh's dream about the impending famine. It's in Genesis 41, verses 39 through 42. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has informed you of all this, there is no one discerning and wise as you are, you shall be over my house, and according to your command, all my people shall do homage. Only in the throne I'll be greater than you. Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took off his ring from his hand, put it on Joseph's hand, and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put the gold necklaces around his neck. Pharaoh clothed Joseph with a fine and colorful robe. Friends, I gotta tell you, God, he's a funny God. The last time Joseph would have seen a robe like that, full of such splendor and majesty, was when his brothers were ripping it off his body. For those of you who don't know the story, when Joseph was a young boy, his father loved him the most, which is, you know what, it's a gutsy call, but he made it. And he made him a bright robe, saying, you have the promise, you have the future. 
of this family. And his other brothers got jealous and they ripped it off his body, ripped it to shreds, put blood on it to make it seem like he was eaten. The last time he'd ever seen a robe like that was when he was being thrown away. I, don't, I fully believe that when Joseph was in jail, he probably had nightmares, traumas, wounds, unforgetful moments of that horrible time where the robe was ripped off him. And I wouldn't be surprised if he said to himself, I'll never get that chance again. I guess I'll never have a robe that nice. It was fun while it lasted, but I guess it won't happen. But how crazy that God understood how Joseph felt in a moment, but he had another plan for him to decide to do. Friends, I gotta tell you, you might have never thought you could be dressed in such a way or thought that your time had passed you or that you had missed your moment, but God is in the restoration business. God is always in the business to restore. You may have people said that you can't. God is seeking to say that you can. When the world has pushed you down, sat you out, sold you out, rejected you, God is looking to restore you. But the way God can restore you is if you stand firm in your faith. Dream City Church, just because you can't see it, God is not, he's working. I love that song, Waymaker. Even though I can't see it, God, I know you're working. Even though I thought my time had passed. We only get one life. Maybe I missed my shot. God, you're still giving me another robe. You're giving me another chance. Dream City Church, that's a word for somebody this morning. Don't think you've missed your robe. God is making another robe for you this morning, a beautiful robe and another potential. Can I get a quick amen in the house of God? God's nature is the restoration business. But what I love about Joseph so much is that he just kept going. He didn't quit. He didn't cry foul and sit on the sidelines. He didn't say that he had a trauma and he had a safe space. He clung to the word of God. Even when he was placed in a pit, in a dungeon, an abandoned place of the earth, which is a symbol for hell, he kept on going. Friends, when you're going through hell, you just keep on going. Shave off that feeling of quitting. Shave off the feeling of quitting on the marriage, quitting on the family, quitting on the job, quitting on the commitment you made to God. A lot of people in here love to make commitments to God. I'm one of them. And there are times where life gets hard, circumstances get tough. I don't know if I can keep doing the faith. I don't know if I can keep showing up, if I can keep giving, if I can keep believing. I shave that off every day. I'm not giving up on God. And sometimes you have to shave off the idea of quitting on the promise that God made you. God made a promise. His word doesn't return void. Just because it hasn't happened yet doesn't mean that it won't happen. I mean, I know this all too well. My wife is, is pregnant. She's 23 weeks pregnant. We're very excited. Baby Joel Matesius is due in December. I'm pumped. It's going to be great. But a lot of people, you know, see these moments, but they don't understand the power of prayer that went into it. Aubrey and I had been trying before she got pregnant for about eight months before we found fruition. I would pray every single day, God, let this be the time that we get pregnant. When I was actually dating Aubrey, the Lord showed me a vision of what my son was going to look like. And I believe visions and dreams are a promise and a title deed from God. So I clung to it. And even when it didn't happen, I said, but God, I saw it. And I know your word comes true. Every single Tuesday morning at men's prayer, I would say, guys, pray that we'll get pregnant. Pray that we'll get pregnant. And the next week, they'd say, hey, any, you know, any luck? I'd say, man, we're, we're still not there. There was shame. There was regret. There was the thought that I should just give up. But then I remembered this story. That a man who was in a pit, who was separate from God, still knew that clinging to the promise of God is something that you keep fighting for. And I rejoiced at the fact that I had brothers who pray with me and we found it. Friends, I gotta tell you, your story in life is directly proportionate to the measure of which you don't quit. If you quit early, you got an early story. 
If you quit late in life, then your life will never be what it was meant to be. But when you don't quit, you get a full story. What I love about Pastor Tommy is you can tattoo on his forehead, you don't quit. Because whenever it's hell or high water, he is standing firm in the promise of God. And it's no surprise to see all the miracles he's been able to do. Look at this building. This building didn't just grow legs and walk here. But it happened because the man didn't quit when it got hard. And he saw his story come to full fruition. Michael Jordan himself was cut from his varsity basketball team as a freshman. But Michael Jordan didn't quit. He didn't cry foul. He didn't say anything was wrong. He went home and he worked harder. He, worked, he doubled his workout routine. He, he dug a hole in his backyard. He'd jump out of it to boost his vertical. When it got too easy, he'd dig it deeper. Michael Jordan doubled down. That's why he's the greatest of all time. Can I get a quick amen this morning? Can I get a quick amen this morning? There were 12 spies who went into the promised land. 10 of them came back saying, we can't take the promised land. And two of them came back saying, we can take it. Between the 10 and the two, who were right? Shout it out. Who were right? Who were right? You guys are right. Both were right. The 10 who said it couldn't be done, they never set foot in the promised land. But the two who said it could. The two who said their protections departed from them. This is the land God gave us. I know it looks hard today. The two who said it could. They walked into the promised land even though they were old. God still made it happen. Friends, I gotta tell you, whether you say that you can or whether you say that you can't, you're right. We don't bother to remember the names of people who quit. How do I know? Nobody names their kids after the 10 spies who said they couldn't get the promised land, but we're still naming our kids Joshua and Caleb today. Can I get an amen this morning? The world is full of pitfalls designed to get you to stop dreaming, to stop living, to stop trusting God. And as we get older, our brains, when we're young, we, the, we operate in the side of the brain that makes memories. That's where we live. That's why all these kids say, when, I wanna be an astronaut, I wanna do this. And as they get older, they live in the part of their brain that relives old memories. Don't let bad memories stop you from making new memories. Don't let a past offense keep you where you're at. Don't let your history keep you from your destiny. So point number three, the final point this morning. What are some offenses that we need to shave off from our lives this morning? What are some offenses? What are some offenses we have to shave out of our head? See, the main reason someone leaves a friendship, a family, a church is that they were offended. That something happened to them that caused them you know, to be, feel pain or an unpleasant feeling and so they just wanted to leave. We live in an age that is hyper offense sensitive. People get offended easily and thus avoid conflict. And now we have a society where no one points out anything that's remotely controversial or touchy to not offend anyone. And what we're left with is mass dysfunction that grows and grows and grows until it becomes unbearable and it just explodes. Husbands and wives know this too well. You're watching the football game, eating some chicken wings, and the next thing you know, all hell is broken loose about all this stuff. And you're like, what the heck? Because they never addressed it. It eventually will always explode out and it never looks pretty. You see, offense is a form of bitterness that takes root in us normally due to pain somebody else caused us. No one like just wants to say, you know, I just want to ruin my own life. I want to be offended and I want just to feel bad and insecure. No, someone says something or does something that causes that to kind of well up in us. And I got to tell you, church, if God told you he could make you forget the pain that others caused you, would you take it? All of us would be like, yes, I've been waiting for you to say this. Got to have this list of five people that if you could just kill, my life would get a lot better, right? God, just take them out. Take them up to heaven, or you know, take them to, you know, if they deserve it, take them to hell. My life will be so good. That's not what happens. But I gotta tell you, God is telling you that he can make you forget all the pain people have caused you. It's through forgiveness. 
God's given you the way out. You see, but just like facial hair, sometimes offenses and bitterness start to grow back. Don't believe me? Get into an argument with your significant other and find out that that thing from four years, eight months ago, still there. I'm just joking. <laughs> but it's true. You get into fights, and then all the, like, the nasty memories are like, yeah, I remember that one time she ate your food? Even though she said she didn't want any fries, she ate yours. And I'm like, yeah, you know what? Order your own fries, right? That's just kind of how we live. When we get mad, the other offenses start to speak up to us. It's almost like we forgive, but then we have to forgive again. I remember I heard a, a person say this question to God. He's like, God, how do I forgive people without being hypocritical? I want to forgive them, but whenever things come up, I just, I get so worked up again. How do I forgive them for real? How do we make our forgiveness genuine? And immediately this man says that he got like a a vision or a picture from God, and it was just a giant train, this long locomotive, just like one of those old-timey trains. And he watches this train kept on going by, and the front half was just labeled faith. It was just faith, 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 just faith, 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 faith. And after like, you know, a good while of time, He saw the end of the train, and the train was labeled forget. And God told this man, he said, if you're willing to forgive people every day by faith, even though it hurts, I'll eventually cause you to forget the pain that was ever caused to you. Church, we serve a good God. We serve a good God who requires faith in this house. You see, your forgiveness is directly tied to your forgetness. You can't truly forgive if you haven't forgotten. You can't truly forgive if every time it comes up, you keep talking about it. You keep bringing it back up. See, there's a power of forgetting the pain, the struggle, and the mistakes. Joseph had two sons while he was in Egypt. Joseph's firstborn son was named Manasseh, and his secondborn son was named Ephraim. Manasseh, his firstborn son, literally means God has helped me forget. Another translation is I was anointed to forget. Joseph was in prison, he was abandoned, he was lied about, and God caused him to forget. That was his first miracle. My favorite part is Joseph's second-born son, Ephraim, his name literally means fruitful in a foreign land. That Joseph says, because God caused me to forget the pain, I was then able to become fruitful in an unpleasant circumstance. Friends, I gotta tell you, your dad might have been bad to you, and your mom might have been bad to you, you can be a good dad, you can be a good mom. You might have had a bad business partner before who spurned you and took all your money. But you can be fruitful in a foreign land and start another business again. But are you willing to forget? We can never be more like Jesus than when we forgive. One of Jesus' last words spoken on the cross was literally Luke 23, 34. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. As the Roman soldiers were mocking Jesus, beating Jesus, ripping off his clothes, exposing his nakedness, gambling for his robe to make a few extra dollars, Jesus was right there, not wishing vengeance, but pleading for forgiveness. (laughs) What's crazy is the Roman soldiers would have never even heard Jesus say this, and they really wouldn't care what a condemned person would say about them. And that's when I began to click that I learned forgiveness is not for the other person. It was for me. It's for you. Forgiveness is for us. To free us from the bondage of offense. To free us from the poison of bitterness. The definition I love of bitterness is bitterness is like drinking a poison, hoping that somebody else will die. That's never worked. It didn't work in Romeo and Juliet. It's not gonna work now. If I drink a poison, the only person who's gonna get hurt is me. 
You see, I learned that forgiveness is for me and not the other person firsthand when I told someone that I forgave them and their response was, thanks, but I'm not sorry. Never get that. I, would, I wanted just to screech at them. I was just like, Ugh! just wanted to shake my fist, like, accept my apology, right? But in that moment, when they said that, I just began to immediately hear God say, how do you feel? I was like, well, I feel a little bit ticked. But you know what? I just feel like a weight off my shoulders. I began to feel the hatred and anger I had for them be released. Hatred and anger will rot the soul. Unforgiveness will transform you away from who God made you to be. Whatever you swear to not forgive, you'll end up becoming. The man who can't forgive his father will usually end up being just like him, just with a different face. Forgiveness removes the devil's foothold and enables us to have the life God has for us. I learned this firsthand in my life where uh, a couple of years ago, I got this revelation from God. I was just talking with God, quiet time with God, shameless plug, make sure you talk with God. It's always very powerful. And God was kind of talking, he's like, Ash, how much do you love Aubrey? I'm like, I love her so much. She's cute, she's feisty, she's funny, she's everything I've ever wanted. And he's like, do you remember when you met her? I was like, I do, June 26, 2016. She walked into my house with a beautiful white dress. Pastor Luke was coming to speak at my dad's church. It was love at first sight for me, and I needed you know, to warm her up to the idea of me. Come on, somebody. But it was good. And God was like, remember where you were the week before? And I was like, yeah, I was in Hawaii. I was like, what a good season of life that was. My dad was speaking in Hawaii, he brought me. I was just posting up, you know, drinking a Coke out of a coconut. Life was good. He's like, you're forgetting an important detail. And I'm like, okay, tell it to me. He's like, what did you do on your last night? And I've forgotten this memory. But um, my other brother Jordan and I would fight a lot as kids. And he, truth be told, he probably rejected his salvation. He was bullied a lot as a kid by Christians, and Christian means little Christ. He said, if the little Christ are jerks, I don't care about the big Christ. And he was hurt, and hurt people hurt people, so he made it his agenda to, to hurt me. I mean, we're talking fist fights, just verbal abuse. I remember just being so fed up, I looked at him and said that I hate you. If you were to die, I would not care. And he ended up going into rehab home, and I used to always think, man, you know, but he deserves it. That's his life. He planted those seeds, he has to reap that harvest. I remember being in Hawaii and God woke me up at 3 a.m. That's how I remember this. 3 a.m., God woke me up. And he, re he replayed that story in my head. And he said, Ash, if the last words you ever spoke to your brother was that you didn't care if he died, and then he did die, how would you feel? I was like, I'd feel horrible. I don't know if I could live, if I could live with that. And he says, you need to forgive him. I'm like, me? I'm the younger brother. Like, he has to apologize. I don't forgive him. But God was like, you do it first. So at 3 a.m., I remember this vividly. I sent him a text. Hey, Jordan, I love you. I'm sorry. I, I just want to say I forgive you for what happened when we're kids, and I hope we can have a good life. I went to bed feeling like the best Christian ever. I was like, God, you know what? Hey, I gotta, I'm, I'm doing things right. I woke up expecting like this really heartfelt text, Ash, the younger brother, and you're pushing things so far. I'm just so thankful for you. You're such an inspiration. All I got was, thanks, Ash. I love you too. And I was like, What? <laughs> That's it? I was like, where's the heartfelt apology? In that moment, again, I said, but you know what? I feel free. I remember saying, God, why did you, why did you have that play out that way? And I felt God say to me so clearly, he said, because Ash, if you couldn't forgive your own brother, who's your flesh and blood, how could I trust you with my daughter? Who's gonna offend you sometimes? And that's prepared me for my life. I've made tons of mistakes and Aubrey has made very few, perhaps one, maybe two mistakes. <laughs> but I've always said sorry. I've always championed that. 
because I'm not gonna let my history rob me of my destiny. James City Church. You can't look like your history when you step into your destiny. Everybody say, shave it off. The last thing we gotta shave, when I was in a Bible school, we had some people who had this idea that when Jesus Christ died on the cross and went to hell, as Peter says in 2 Peter, that he actually extended an invitation of grace to Judas, and that Judas could receive it. And truth be told, that's a very beautiful picture of the grace of God, but it's not scripturally accurate. The Bible says that when Jesus went down to hell, he proclaimed his victory, and then he said, peace, I'm out. I got it right. But I began to realize, God is faithful to forgive all sins. Had Judas not hung himself, had he encountered Jesus on the beach like St. Peter did, I think God would have forgiven him. What I learned was, Judas didn't forgive himself. Matthew 16, or Matthew 6, 15, excuse me, reads, if you don't forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. If I'm being honest, sometimes it's very easy to forgive others, and it's very hard to forgive ourselves. But friends, if you can't forgive yourself, then you limit the grace you can receive from God. I know what it's like to have fallen short, to have sinned and, and messed up, and then say, well, God can't, I, I asked for forgiveness for this a while. God, God's probably mad at me. He doesn't want to forgive me again. He's probably got a record of my right and wrongs up in heaven, counting all the times. But then I'd encounter God in worship. I'd encounter God when I read my Bible. And I'd realize that what makes God different than man is that when he forgives, he fully forgets. He doesn't sweep it under the rug. He doesn't just turn a blind eye. It's as if it had never happened. He practically rewrites your past. But Dreams to Church, if God's willing to do that, are you willing to do that this morning? Are you willing to shave off your past so you can walk into the destiny of salvation? Sometimes the hardest people to forgive are ourselves. And that's why we can't see the breakthrough. You might say, where's my destiny? I forgave them. But have you forgiven you? If I could have everybody just bow their heads and close their eyes this morning. As I've been speaking, there's probably a lot of us in this room who, one, are probably just caught up in sin, or two, have always had this chain of shame, regret, and sin that they seek to appease God by saying, look how bad I feel. Look at the shame I feel. God, please honor that. This is how bad I am. And God's gonna tell you, just shave it off. If you're in this place, you'd like to shave off the, the sin of your past. Shave off the chains of shame. Shave off all your regrets and say, I want to walk clean shaven to the destiny of my life with God in heaven forever to find salvation. If that's you this morning, Dream City Church, on the count of three, just lift up a hand so I know who to pray for. With every head bowed and every eye closed. If that's you this morning, say, I want to shave it off and walk with God. On the count of three, one, two, three, lift up those hands. Thank you, 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 thank you. Man, thank you, thank you. Hands going up everywhere. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Man, thank you. In the balcony, I see those hands. You can put your hands down. And everybody in this place, please repeat after me. Everybody say, Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for helping me shave it off. Shave off my sin. Shave off my shame. Shave off my regrets. Lord Jesus, today, I choose to walk in freedom to my destiny with you as my Lord all the days of my life. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody said.
Amen, amen, amen. Man, come on. In just a moment, I'm gonna invite our altar team to come forward. There's been a myriad of things I've been talking about we might need to shave off. Words that were spoken against us. Perhaps someone spoke a word to you, you'll never find peace. You'll never get married. You'll never be successful. Perhaps the words you've spoken to yourself. Or maybe some of us in here have a bad memory of one of what our parents did, and we don't think we can be good parents. We had a bad business partner, a failed business deal. We don't think God can use us again. Maybe some of us in here are just so caught up in offense. We just need someone to help us shave it off. Friends, if that's you this morning, we're gonna invite the worship team to play. But uh, altar team, could you come down to the front? We're gonna open up the altars. I'm gonna come down and personally pray for people as they're being prayed behind them, just championing them. But shave it off. Church, don't leave the same way you came in. Don't let your history keep you from your destiny. Dreams to church in this place, could we all just please stand? Stand in this place. And Pastor Ryan will begin to sing. Pastor will begin to sing. I encourage you, spend five minutes in the presence of God. Linger in the presence of God for five minutes before you leave. But if you're in this place and you've got something to shave off, something you don't want to carry with you, please make your way down to the front. And let's pray for you and believe. But the rest of us, let's stand here in the presence of God, singing for just a few more minutes. God bless you.